0: pray together father you are a faithful God and God we thank you that we walk in your faithfulness that we can trust you we can trust your word and your purposes for us and father today we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit as we enter into your word in Jesus name we pray amen amen well good morning church oh you can do better than that good morning church there we go Well, we are in a new new series that we started last week called We Are Better Together. And today we want to talk about being united with one another. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 17. We're going to be there in just a few moments. Well, after NASA Apollo 11's incredible feat of three men on the moon in June of 1969, One of those astronauts, Michael Collins, said, all this is possible only through the blood, sweat, and tears of thousands of people. He said, all you see are the three of us, but underneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. Well, according to author Catherine Femish, there were about 400,000 others who helped make the Apollo 11 mission happen. In her book, Team Moon, Femish shares stories of some of these hidden heroes, the the spacesuit seamstresses, the radio telescope operators, the parachute designers, and others who made it possible for these three men to get to the moon, get them home, and let the rest of the world watch while it all happened. At Kennedy Space Center, some 17,000 Engineers and mechanics and soldiers and contractors and other workers set up the enormous missile for the launch. Then there were the guys that monitored just how little fuel was left in the lunar module during its descent to the surface of the moon. Team Moon also included a 24-year-old computer whiz kid named Jack Garman who helped work through the worrisome computer glitches during the Eagle's landing. The computer code that ran all the systems was developed by a a team of software engineers at MIT led by a woman by the name of Margaret Hamilton. Roughly 500 people worked on the spacesuits alone, including one seamstress who commented, we didn't worry too much until the guys on the moon started jumping around. And that gave us a little bit of an eyebrow twitch. So no wonder that Astronaut Neil Armstrong would later say that as he took his first steps on the surface of the moon, he immediately thought about all of those 400,000 people who had given him that opportunity to take that first step. Well, you know, it is amazing what people can accomplish when they have a unified purpose and goal. Well, today we want to focus on the church the body of Christ, and the fact that Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. You know, we live in a culture that values individualism, don't we? We are trained from a very young age to pursue self-determination, and so it's not surprising that our world is so fragmented. Even the church reflects this. Well, it's difficult to even get an exact count because the number keeps going up. There are thousands of different denominations and religious groups in the United States alone. Well, here we are in the midst of this series, looking at a few of the one another statements in the New Testament. I mentioned last week that there are 59 specific one another commands in the New Testament. Last Sunday, we handed out puzzle pieces to help establish that truth that God has created us to fit together and to care For one another. And today we want to consider how we can be united together because Jesus is praying for us to be that community of unity. So let me ask you this, how are you doing? How are you doing in your quest for unity within the community of faith? Would you say that Garden Way Church is united so that we can with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we living together with unity of mind and singleness of heart as we share the gospel message? Those can be some tough questions to grapple with. Left to ourselves, we don't automatically drift toward unity. In fact, our default setting is disunity. All you have to do is look back in history, and you can see that history is littered with a lack of harmony among human beings, because our default is disunity. But the good news is, we're not the first group of believers to display a lack of unity. Think about the 12 disciples. Those guys spent three years with the Lord Jesus, and they often demonstrated more discord than accord. Remember that James and John, they caused envy amongst the other 12 because they wanted to sit at the left and the right of the Lord in his coming kingdom, and everybody else got ticked off at them, angry and jealous. Not a lot of unity in the 12 at that moment. And then unbelievably, right after Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his followers, while they were still at the table, Luke tells us in Luke 11.24 that a dispute a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Can you imagine that conversation? After Jesus had washed their feet and explained that he was about to offer himself as their sin substitute, they can only think about which one of them is going to have the prime seed. Their selfishness led to what? Luke called a dispute. That word means strife or faction or dissension. More literally, it means a love of contention. A love of contention. Do you know anybody that likes to just argue all the time? They love it. There's people like that that love contention. The disciples were divided, divided on the very night that Jesus was preparing to deliver his life for them. In the final moments before his arrest, Jesus could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for his own strength. He could have prayed for the 12, now the 11, to support him. His intercession to the Father could have been filled with a desire to make these 11 remaining guys better teachers or better servants or better givers or better leaders. But instead, instead his prayer was a simple thought. Jesus wanted them to be a community of unity. John chapter 17 and verse 1 begins this way. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. And then his prayer continues throughout chapter 17. And so in John 17, we find what we might call the true Lord's Prayer. The prayer that we commonly refer to the Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer. Remember, they wanted to know how to pray. Jesus teaches how to pray, and so he taught them. But this is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of his heart. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. This prayer is saturated with urgency. We can hear the agonized intensity as Jesus pleads with his Father to make his followers one. In fact, he pleads for our unity four different times in this prayer. This prayer was prayed aloud, and I think Jesus did that for the disciples' benefit. His followers couldn't help but be moved and convicted about their disregard for unity as they hear Jesus pour out his heart for harmony to the Father. You see, friends, we need supernatural strength to be united with our fellow Christ followers. If the early Christians struggle to maintain unity, and we do as well, then it's obvious that we need God's help in this area. The very fact that Jesus prayed for unity indicates we can't accomplish this on our own. So I want you to listen to a brief section of Jesus's prayer for unity from John chapter 17. And I want to do something a little different. We don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand as the words of Jesus are read. Marlene,
1: The words of the Lord. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you
0: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Merlene. So, Jesus knows. He knows he is about to leave his believers behind in a divided and harsh world. He can foresee the upcoming persecution and every temptation that is going to come their way. He knows how the deceiver will work to divide the disciples. And so he prays for their unity. I want you to notice a few things. In verse 11, he refers to God as Holy Father, indicating his Father is far above the wickedness of this world. The Father's name stands for all of his resources and powers and abilities. And Jesus is asking the Father to stand guard over those who have put their faith In him, in Jesus, by unleashing an arsenal of protective oversight. Satan's strategy throughout church history has been to destroy unity within the body of Christ. If he can attack our oneness, then our power will be diminished. We'll get discouraged and our message will be destroyed. This protection that Jesus prays for his disciples has a distinct purpose in mind, that they may be one, Jesus prays, even as we are one. And in the original language, this is even more forceful. The meaning is this, so that they may constantly be one or that they may keep on being one. That is Jesus's prayer, not just for the 12, but for us as well. This request is amplified in verse 20 when Jesus expands his intercession to include you and me. What does he say here? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, folks. Notice that belief comes through the hearing of the message, just as it always has. The disciples were faithful in spreading the word, and millions have come to Christ in every generation all across the globe as a result of Jesus's prayer. I also want you to notice that Jesus's request for oneness is made with increasing intensity in each verse that Merlene read this morning. In verse 21, he says that they may all be one. In verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And in verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. You see, Jesus doesn't just pray for uniformity, that is, for everybody to be exactly the same. And Jesus doesn't pray for unanimity, and that is, that we would have absolute agreement on every opinion. Jesus doesn't pray for union. That would be absolute affiliation as in some sort of an organization. No, that's not what Jesus is praying about. What Jesus prays for is unity of oneness, of heart, of faith, and of purpose. And so for the rest of the morning, I'd like to explore four principles from this section of Jesus's prayer for our unity and just look at ways that we can apply this to our own life. So let's look at this principle number one, the parameters of unity. The parameters of unity include all believers. Jesus doesn't want us just to get along with a few people. He says that they may all be one. True believers in Christ must be one. We're redeemed by the same blood. We're going in the same direction toward the same heaven. That means that we share a common unity or a community with believers in the past, in the present, and even into the future. Here in our community and all over the world. In the early morning of August 31st, 2004, Employees of a Burger King restaurant in Richmond Hill, Georgia, found a man unconscious next to the dumpster. He was naked, sunburnt, He had bites all over his body from red ants. His skull had three depressions, apparently from blunt force trauma. He also had amnesia, and he was unable to remember even his own name, much less how he came to be found beaten behind a Burger King. Of course, the employees called 911 and he was taken to a hospital in Savannah, Georgia. But without identity papers, without any memory, they listed him only as Burger King Doe. For more than 10 years, this man was unable to remember his name and thus he was unable to get the kind of help he really needed. He didn't have a social security card. He couldn't obtain a job or collect any kind of benefits from the government. He eventually named himself Benjamin Kyle, sensing that his first name might have been Benjamin. And he began to search, to search for a community that knew him previously, to help him piece together his identity. You see, without community, without community, the man had no access to his story. Finally, with the help of some investigative reporters and some genetic testing, Benjamin Kyle learned his real name and his likely family of origin. And as he started to identify with his community, once again, he said, looking at all these names, all these people, kind of gives me a sense of belonging. He said, I have a history. I'm not just some stranger that materialized. Out of thin air. Can you imagine living for 10 years, not knowing who you were, where you belonged, who you connected to without a community? You see, friends, we are created for community, a community that Jesus calls the church, the body of Christ. And that eternal community includes all who put their trust and faith fully in Jesus, not just the ones that we like the most, not just the ones that align with our personal preferences and opinions. Like Benjamin Kyle, we should continually be looking to connect in unity with Christ's community of all believers. But I want to remind you of one thing. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. We mentioned that earlier. The great Theologian Augustine wrote this phrase, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. You know, it's possible to be diverse and not be divided. As we learned last Sunday, we're all distinct pieces of the puzzle and our variety is very valuable. We have different gifts and abilities and personalities and thoughts and, yes, even opinions. And we're not called to be the same, but we are called to be one, to be one. And so we cannot expect everyone to be exactly like we are, to think the way that we think. It's impossible within a diverse church as God has designed it. Instead, Jesus is praying for us to be that community of unity. Principle number two, the pattern of unity. The pattern of unity is linked to the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, Jesus prays for his disciples to experience the oneness that exists in his relationship with the Father. In verse 21, he prays that they also may be in us. And in verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. Isn't that powerful? The unity of Christ, the unity that Jesus prays for is so intimate, so personal, and so vital that it is patterned after and based upon his relationship with his heavenly Father. In Ephesians chapter 4 The Apostle Paul captures how this truth is tied to the Godhead. Paul writes, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, this perfect pattern of unity that is reflected by the intimate relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and is reflected in the, the oneness picture here in Ephesians 4, this becomes the pattern by which we disciples are called to shape our life. We can shape our lives individually and as a local church on our inclinations. We can base it on our personal preferences. We can base it on our self-created vision. Or, or we can follow God's pattern of unity. Someone wrote this, vision is merely hope with a blueprint. I like that statement. Vision is merely hope with a blueprint. So what blueprint will we use Will we be architects of our own destiny, as our world calls us to be? Or will we follow the pattern, the blueprint that the Lord has left for us in his word? Friends, we can talk all about unity. We can preach about unity. We can dream about what unity might be one day. But if we don't take steps now to follow God's pattern, then we are doomed to a fractured and a divided future, lacking unity. Principle number three, the purpose of unity. The purpose of unity is to accelerate evangelism. Look at the last part of verse 21. So that the world may believe. Jesus is praying for all this unity so that the world might believe, verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. You see, unity is important and it's wonderful to experience. But notice, we're not just to enjoy or pursue unity for our own sakes, because ultimately our oneness is designed to draw people to Jesus to accelerate evangelism. When unity is fractured within a church or between churches, then the bride, the bride is broken. The bridge is blown up because there's not the unity that Jesus calls for. A divided Christian community denies by its own behavior the very message that it proclaims. And so one who is seeking truth is attracted to the oneness and harmony in the church. But when unity is absent, you know what? They can smell it a mile away, and they'll be turned off. Dissension and disunity have hindered more revivals than we can ever imagine. Lost people are not looking to be a part of another organization that is fighting amongst themselves. When a future believer looks at followers who are launching verbal hand grenades at one another. They're likely just to say, if they can't even agree on the truth amongst themselves, how could they possibly teach me anything? You see, the the practice of oneness puts God's reputation on display. That's what we're about. Verse 22 says, we have been given the glory which was given to Christ. Look at that. The glory, Father, that you have given me I have given to them. I want you to just think about that for a moment. The glory given to Jesus has been passed on to his followers. The word glory, it literally means weighty, heavy. It it represents the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. The glory of God the Father given to Jesus in the flesh has been passed on to his children. Now that's weighty. That's heavy, if you will. A heavy burden which we must bear. Not a difficult burden, a wonderful burden of oneness and unity, glory. That is what Jesus is praying for as he prays for us to be a community of unity. One more principle. Principle number four, the point of unity. The point of unity is for us to be absolutely united. Look again at verse 23. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. The word perfectly derives from a root which conveys the idea of end or aim or goal. It has the idea of maturity and completeness. And so the aim of Jesus' prayer is for us, his bride, his body, his flock, his church, to be completely one. The mark of a mature disciple is absolute oneness. Our unity with Christ and our submission to him should give us a spirit of humility and sweet harmony with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is praying for us to be a community of absolute unity. And so as we begin to close up here, I want to just leave you with some practical steps of unity that we can each pursue as we ask this question. How can I, how can I be an answer to Jesus's prayer by fostering unity within the community that we call Garden Way Church. Here's the first step. Be a grower. Be a grower. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Are you pursuing growth? Have you ever heard this phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder? That's a great little phrase, isn't it? And it might be true in human relationships, but you know what? In our relationship with God, absence makes the heart wander, not grow fonder. When we wander, do you know what happens? We often go to war with others. Distance from God can cause discord in the church. When we wander, we are out of balance with God And we end up taking aim at others. And so are you growing? Are you a grower? Are you growing in your walk with Christ? If you find yourself out of sync with someone, ask yourself this honest question. Am I walking with Christ? Is there any sin that I might need to confess? Am I too full of myself? Or am I fully surrendering to Christ? To pursue growth, we must spend time in God's Word. So I want to encourage you to find a daily reading plan. Delve into God's Word. Get into it with others. Grow together. If you're not a part of one of our ABFs that meets Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, or if you're not a part of a midweek group, a Bible study of some sort, why not? Spend at least an hour a week growing with other believers. Believers as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Here's another step. Not just be a grower, but be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Instead of judging or gossiping or slandering, practice being a peacemaker. Someone has said, a gossip is just a fool with a keen sense of rumor. I want you to remember this rule about gossip. The more interesting it is, the more likely it is to be false. You see, the Bible calls us to be peacemakers. Whether you've been wronged by another believer or you've been the one that has done the wrong, the Bible teaches us that we are to go and meet and seek reconciliation. We are to initiate reconciliation, whether it's our fault or not. If someone has a grudge against you, follow God's leading and do what you can do to make it right. If you have something against someone, Figure out a way to meet with them. Take someone else with you that can help you. Do what you need to do to meet and to reconcile. Don't fall for Satan's schemes. Instead, be an answer to the prayer of Jesus. Which then reminds me of this. Are are you carrying bitterness? Maybe you've been hurt in the past. You've had a hard time forgiving someone for something they've done to you or said to you. Do you understand that it's vital for you to repair your relationship? Whether it's in your home or in the house of God. We must be people that keep short accounts with others. We need to be like the the young child that I read about who was overheard reciting the Lord's Prayer. And she said, and forgive us our trash passes." as we forgive those who have passed passed trash against us. Isn't that great? Are you passing trash around? Get rid of it, because it's going to start to stink. Romans 12, 18 doesn't allow for us to be nonchalant about unity. Paul writes, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with who? All, everyone. You see, there's no unity if we're not pursuing peace. In the ruptured relationship, perhaps that you're thinking about right now, have you done everything possible, as far as it depends on you, to deal with the discord? Or are you being too passive? Be a grower? Be a peacemaker. And then number three, be a uniter. Be a uniter. In Ephesians 4, 3, Paul writes, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of of Christ. Are you eager to be a uniter? The New American Standard Version is a bit stronger. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Are you diligent Are you as diligent about being a peacemaker as you are about the other things in your life? Are you diligent about brushing your teeth? Are you diligent about taking care of the things around your house? Are you diligent about paying your bills? Are you eager to engage in that favorite pastime or hobby? So eager that you're diligent to make sure you're there at the right time with the right supplies. Are you eager and diligent? We need to be eager and diligent about unity, about being a uniter. And so let me ask you this. What one thing can you do this week to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Let me give you some ideas. Can you be more edifying in your conversations instead of raging about current events or about the decaying state of the world? How about talking about the good things that God and his people are doing? How about speaking encouraging words to others, making it a point to look for ways to speak encouraging words? How about simply just being a person that says, thank you a lot? How edifying would that be? Can you serve more in a ministry to unite God's people? Maybe you might think about uniting God's people across generations, Nan has a lot of great ideas about working with kids and families and outreach. Are you ready to step up and say, I'm ready to be a uniter across the generations? I'm ready to unite in reaching out to people that don't know Jesus and help them to connect with people in the church. How about just some simple things like this? We've got three requests this week that just came in over the phone from area uh, care centers nursing homes and care centers. They're looking for people that would just come and do a simple Bible study or a little church service. Could you help unite those people that are so lonely with God's people by just showing up and sharing God's word in a simple way? We'd help you. I'll get you the training material. I'll get you the little little materials that you could share. It's not a hard thing to do. Just show up and love people. How about something as simple as giving somebody a ride to church? We got a couple of requests this week from people just calling into the church office saying, is there anybody that could give me a ride to church? Could you make that a part of your Sunday routine? Give up an extra half an hour, 40 minutes, 20 minutes before, 20 minutes after, just to give somebody a ride? Be diligent to look for opportunities to be a uniter. People want to unite with us. Do we have the people that will step up and say, I'll help. Pray for eagerness, friends. And then get busy. Be diligent to do something to unite God's people together. It's as simple as giving us a call at the church office or filling out one of these connection cards. You can find them by the front door and say, help me to connect in some way. We'll get you connected. Nan or I will sit down and talk with you. We'll talk about your skills and abilities and figure out a way that you can help to be a uniter. For the 1889 World's Fair in Paris, more than 100 artists submitted plans to design the centerpiece, the masterpiece of what was called the Exposition Universale. And the winner was an engineer named Alexandre Gustave Eiffel who proposed a 984-foot tower, the tallest building or structure in the world at that time. The skeptics scoffed at his design. They called it useless, artless, ugly. But Eiffel called her La Dame de Fur, the Iron Lady. Gustav Eiffel's name was on his tower, but Eiffel himself thanked 72 Scientists, engineers, and mathematicians on whose shoulders he stood. And their names are inscribed into the metal, into the steel of that tower. Of course, the tower also relied on 300 riveters and hammermen and iron workers who put together the 18,038-piece jigsaw puzzle of wrought iron in two years, two months, and five days. Oh, and then don't forget the acrobatic team that Eiffel hired. He hired them to help his workers maintain balance on the very thin beams as the strong gusts of wind came through. We have each of them to thank. As well as the the Paris City Council that voted in 1909 not to tear down the tower, despite the fact that its 20-year permit had expired. The tower's longevity depended on those council members and each of the voters who put them into office. You you see, friends, great things can be accomplished when we are united in purpose, following the pattern, the parameters of the Lord. God wants us to be one, but not alone. That's why Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word that reminds us of the vitality of your church, but also of the urgency, Lord, for us to pursue this unity so that we can remain vital and healthy. Lord, so that we can remain attractive to those who don't know you yet. Father, may we be a people that are diligent and eager to pursue unity. Father, may we be willing to lay aside our own preferences and opinions and deeply held ideas in order to pursue the true unity of your church and the careful pattern that you've given us. Father, may we build upon the foundation of those that have come before us. And may we serve you well in unity and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want you to know this morning that our elders are ready to pray for you today as you seek unity. And so I want to just encourage you. Maybe you want to take a moment as we stand and sing in just a moment to make your way back to the prayer corner, back here in the left corner. Some of our elders will be there to pray with you. If you need some help in walking through a difficult relationship, they'd be honored to pray with you and help you in that. But you need to take that opportunity to be a part of the unity of this community. Just before we stand and sing, I have one announcement for the church that I want to make. Our elders are uh, very pleased to recommend two men for the office of deacon here at Garden Way Church, and those are Ken Poling and Terry Roper. So there's Ken and Marilyn on the left, uh, and uh, Terry and Bobby on the right. Terry and Bobby have their their German shepherds with them there in that picture. And uh, as you leave today, I want to encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center. On the counter there, there are two forms, two different colored forms, one for Ken, one for Terry, and it has a a brief bio about their life and their walk with the Lord and who they are, and then on the back, there's a a form for you to fill out and to turn back in, and we're going to have two weeks for you to to have this and get it turned back in to the elders as they uh, wait for your response Uh, to their proposal for these two men to serve our congregation as deacons. Thank you for being here. May God bless us all as we pursue unity. Now let's stand together for our our closing song.
1: We're gonna sing two songs as closing. As I was looking for songs this week, I kept running across this topic.